Hi, and welcome to Wit and Bridge Girl. I am your wit, Vlad. And I'm your bridge girl, Anna. Welcome to the first episode of Wit and Bridge Girl, a podcast where we read over all the Stormlight archives and argue with each other about who is best girl, Shallan or Kaladin. My vote's on Kaladin. Oh, man. Uh, you did not prompt me with this question. It was on the I think... Rock. No, it wasn't. It's... it's... It's literally uh, right. you know what? Let, it just says uh, Shalandra Kaladin. I was not I was not told I would need to pick one. It's implied. Uh, listen. Okay, no, wait. Viewers, Navani, this is, my answer this is, is what to expect. My answer is Navani. My answer is Navani. You win this round, Vladimir. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's uh, when when, uh, when arguing, it's always best to claim victory by sidestepping the question entirely and just in that first like what minute we have managed to explain the entirety of our dynamic to our listeners good job vlad i think we should be very proud of ourselves so for the first part of our podcast we're gonna explain to our listeners our viewers what sort of format you can be expecting uh as well as give a background as to how vlad and i met uh Vlad, would you like to take the lead on this? So as far as uh, how you and I met, uh, we play in... uh, It's a... How do we actually explain this to people? It's a fan game of a fan game that was played on a podcast where we pretend to be characters from different fictional properties and... They fight and sometimes kiss? Uh, you know the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen listeners? Uh, it's like that, but funner because we have anime. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's probably as good an explanation as, as anything else. Oh, we should explain. Uh, this is a uh, role-playing game. This is not a thing that we are acting in or something like that uh, it's a D- it's a D like game for you know people who know what that is which i hope you do yeah uh uh we just sort of uh met through that uh i play hermione granger a very different hermione granger uh and anna plays urza scarlet from uh the show fairy tale two characters with incredibly conflicting moral compasses very much like their players yeah yeah uh they're this is not the first iteration of vlad and anna argue ad nauseum about a thing this is just the first time that we've ever decided to let's actually sit down and have a format for that and record it first this podcast has been through like a few iterations and planning at first it was spider girl and batman beyond and and then it was both yeah then we found out we both freaking love the stormlight archive we're like wait a second do you also want to reread this while talking about it ad nauseum yes i do and that is how a week ago we came up with wit and bridge girl which is our current best runner for uh, for a podcast name. If you have a better idea than we do, listeners, please write in. It may 
be functionally impossible to actually make a change at this point, but we still want to hear from you. Please, let us know we're not screaming into the void. I mean, we clearly are, because that's just existence. But uh, <laughs> allow us the room to continue to pretend otherwise. As for the format of the podcast itself, since the book has a cycling narration for each of the chapters, we're going to go and read through, and once we've read each of the narrators twice, we're going to come back to the podcast and discuss it. So it turns out that I'm a fake fan, and the narration doesn't cycle like I thought it did. Instead, the format will be going in, and whenever there's a cool cliffhanger, we'll leave it off there. So that'll be the format of the podcast, actually. Back to the real show. Uh, we're going to be uh, discussing uh, the individual characters, their arcs, their lines, their thought processes. Uh, we're basically going to go back and forth and argue as much as humanly possible about probably every aspect of this book and each one of the characters individually. But we're going to try and do that in a way that is accessible and not so yelly that uh, it's completely incomprehensible. Yeah, personally, I'm making sure that the waveforms on my uh, audio don't go above certain heights, because once they do, I know, oh, this is the point of no return. Yeah, yeah, that's a thing to watch out for. It's nice to have a visual indicator of how crazy you're being. So that's it for the first segment. Now let's uh, start talking about how exactly we ended up reading the Stormlight Archive, you know, how long we've been fans, uh, and... How into the greater Cosmere, which is a term we'll explain later during this, that you are. Uh, Vlad, do you want to start? How did you how did you find the Stormlight Archive? Uh, I found the Stormlight Archive through other stuff. Uh, I have been reading epic fantasy literally for decades at this point. I think i started with my first like big fantasy book series when i was uh like 13 and i started with the wheel of time uh and if our listeners Ouch. know this podcast was almost about the wheel of time and i dodged a bullet there uh this podcast may well be about the wheel of time eventually if we ever finish this one uh because you need to read that it is an excellent book series uh not gonna lie it has its weird moments, uh, one of which uh, was so bad, it prompted me to write, start writing. Like, it, it annoyed me to the point where I had to write my own book. That's how bad it was. But it is a seminal piece of work. Uh, right, well, well let's, let's save that anger for Podcast of Time, the podcast where we read all of the Wheel of Time. Sure. Uh, but uh, Brandon Sanderson uh, was brought in to finish that series after the original author, uh, Robert Jordan, passed away with the series unfinished. Uh, and he came in and he did an excellent job. I, uh, I, I really love a lot of the things that he did uh, with that uh, series. Uh, it is by no means a perfect work because I don't think that it would have been possible even for Robert Jordan to do a perfect work and picking up from notes that someone left and talking to 
their wife. Uh, it's actually a really cool story. He uh, he basically got the job. He went and visited Robert Jordan's uh, wife, uh, who was also his editor, and he like lived with her for a little bit, like going through the notes and discussing uh, with her what he wanted to do with it, and just sort of trying to pick it up. And he did a phenomenal job. He got so much of the characterization right and some of the characterization he honestly did better which i don't know if that was always intended from the arc of the characters or if that's what he brought to it but he did a really good job i am not holding what happened with pat on fane against him some things just happen y'all uh so uh i actually have a question about him taking the writing style would you say he managed to match the wheel of time's writing style during that or could you tell it was Sanderson? Because while it's not the mo- while he doesn't have the most unique writing style, there are some sort of tells about you know what he does. Uh, well, like I said, I had been reading this series at this point that he took it over for maybe a decade already. I had reread the series like two or three times by then so i was very familiar with robert jordan so i could tell that it it was a little different there were there were differences uh not so huge that i was like oh god no but it was you could tell and it's not always in a bad way i think that uh brandon sanderson actually did a better job with some of the characterization stuff like uh a lot of the really weird sexual politics in that book uh, actually got toned down <laughs> with him, which is honestly only an improvement. Uh, but it, it, he did, he did a really uh, good job uh, of taking it over. There was literally no way that anyone was going to go into that and be able to you know do it seamlessly or like you couldn't tell if you had been reading this book for as long as they had been put out the first book came out in the 80s like 89 and damn uh, this book series is older than i am it's not older it's not old it's not older than i am so let's let's let the audience deal with that fact uh no, it's just that, for, for me, The Wheel of Time, like, I haven't read it, but I'd seen it, you know, in Barnes and Nobles, which was, like, basically my second home as a kid. Yeah, and, same here. Know, I always thought of it as one of a modern fantasy book series, but I didn't realize how long the works had been coming out. Well, actually, The Wheel of Time has this really interesting place because it is both classic and modern because it was the series that set the tone for what modern fantasy literature is it was the thing that made like someone like brandon sanderson possible that it sort of changed a lot of things it was uh, and this is this might be funny to people who have read it uh, because uh the early books certainly have a certain tone that is very old fantasy literature but as it progresses as it goes book by book it actually gets more modern and it is like the first modern classic fantasy series it is this genre redefining work uh, because it's it, it sort of spanned that time the last book uh 
I think it came out in the 20 teens, or maybe 2010 or something. I don't have it in front of me, but the whole the whole 14 book series came out over the course of 20 years. So it really was this kind of bridge, and it ultimately becomes like a modern fantasy series because it set the tone for what a modern fantasy series is. And uh, that's gonna that's gonna tickle some people weirdly because some people do think that it is very much an older series. Some people think that it's very much a newer series. It's kind of it's kind of a judgment call. Well, okay, Vlad, you just want to do the podcast of time instead of Wood and Bridge Girl because you you've kind of convinced me at this point. Uh, no, no. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to let you read it, and uh, uh, we'll discuss. You, you're going to have feelings about it. Some of them are going to be very warm feelings. Some of them are going to feel like hot fire against the side of your face. Uh, flames. Flames. But... Everywhere. <laughs> uh, but you're... It, it's something that we can go uh, go through uh, later uh, later on uh, right now we're we're doing a current as yet unfinished and uh so that the audience knows where we are uh right now when we're recording this this is September of 2020 uh yes the year that hell claimed uh, uh but that means that we are 2 months away from the release of book 4 of the Stormlight archive Rhythm of War so uh, this is an as yet unfinished work, and uh, as far as I know, what Brennan Sanderson has said that it's going to be ten books long, uh, with two cycles arcs of five books each. So uh, this is going to be an ongoing thing. So we're very much in the middle of something that's happening. Yeah, we we are in podcast time hell. I think we're at purgatory. I'm yeah, not. I, do you think maybe we died in 2020 and this is our purgatory? Uh, I moved to my new place like two days before the whole lockdown thing started happening. So I'm pretty much convinced that I moved to the wrong alternate universe and that this is the bad one. So uh, the darkest timeline. Exactly. All right, so uh, TL. Uh, oh, but uh, TLDR, uh, you've got into Sanderson through the Wheel of Time. Uh, right. So he finished up that book series, and then uh, I liked his writing, so I went on and read uh the next big thing that he did, which was uh, uh the Hero of Ages series, Mistborn. Uh, God, that shit is so good. I know. Uh, and I read it. I really liked it uh i have complicated thoughts about that as well because it he did a lot of really new and different things with that uh but from there uh, i i i i don't think that it's like a perfect work and that there are things with it that i don't love but uh, i will say that it got me so interested in this guy's writing that i wanted to read more and i found out because i was listening to his podcast writing excuses uh yeah it's writing excuses i was listening to his podcast writing excuses because uh i'm a writer and i wanted uh, some you know tips from the pros and he mentioned that uh, series on there so i read it and 
uh, I loved it from like word go. The the this is just like one of the coolest things that I have ever like interacted with. It is a brilliantly like beautifully constructed world. Like the characters are so alive to me, and I I, I just I love it. And I have read a bunch of the other Cosmere stuff. All right, so as for me, I got into it in kind of a similar way to you, but so I think I was around 13 and I was just, you know, futzing around Barnes and Nobles. As you do. Across, yeah. God, I wish we I wish there wasn't a global pandemic, otherwise I would be futzing around in Barnes and Nobles right now. But as you as you do, uh that's that's what you do at your age. It's what I did at, it's what I did at your age. So I found two books at that time. One was a weird western with like vampires and stuff. Or not vampires, werewolves. Where just so you know, werewolves are cooler than vampires in every conceivable way. But that's besides the point. I mean, we will argue this point at some point, but this is not that point. But so one of those was that weird western with the uh, werewolves. The other was the alloy of law. Oh. So yeah, I the first the first Sanderson book I read was the 100 years later sequel to Mistborn. And it was so fucking good. I mean... I was like, wait a second, where does this... Where did this... Where did all this world come from? Who are all these, like, religious figures? Then I read Mistborn and I was like, oh, wait, this is maybe even better. <laughs> I, I, oh, I think no, that, no, that is an, that is an awesome way to get into that series. <laughs> Yeah, I. Anyone who knows me like knows that I always get into series in the weirdest of ways. Like, uh, most people won't know about it, but in Common Rider, I started with the anniversary season that had the character go through all the previous seasons and uh, like meet all the main characters from those, and that was my first season. So, I tend to do things in reverse. But uh, that's uh, that's for our other podcast. Take a ride, a Common Rider podcast. <laughs> uh is this just the thing that we're gonna do we're going to talk each other into podcasts uh that 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 is my favorite podcast bit where they'll just like start it's like well no but that's for other podcast x an x podcast gotcha although you know mark a point that mark a point down in case uh we ever actually finish this or rather we will almost certainly be done with this before he is done with the series. So at one point we will have to think about, uh, what do we do next? Wheel time? Sure. Common Rider? You know? Uh, maybe to do something completely different? Uh, that, that, would be, that would be decades off of our life, just so you know. Oh, no, I fully understand what this is. This is, uh, Common Rider is like, uh... For the just in case the audience doesn't know, Common Rider is kind of like Power Rangers in that it never really ends. They just do a new season and pretend like it's the first one. The first season came out in 1971. Holy shit! Like b- back then, during so, okay, so everybody, I know you came here for Stormlight Archive, but bear with me for a second. History of Kamen Rider, season one, created by Shotaro Ishinomori. In my opinion, one of the best writers uh, to come out of Japan, maybe even the world, just for 
the way he sort of writes heroism. But first season came out that lasted a few years. And throughout the Showa era, seasons would last like a year, two years, and there'd be a bit of a break in between just because that's how TV was back then. Then 89, last season of the show era came out, took a 10-year hiatus where only three movies came out. And now it's approximately 50 episodes since the year 2000, approximately 50 episodes a year. Goddamn. Just, God, the podcast. Take a breath, Vlad. The podcast explaining that would be the work of like 10 years. We'd be Jay and Miles at that point. Yeah, I. All right, I'll I'll talk to you more about this off screen because there's some stuff you would enjoy. But back right. to Brandon Sanderson because yes. I think this has been what a five hour tangent now, something like that. Uh, but you 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 were saying how you got uh you got into uh Mistborn through Alloy of Law, which is awesome. Uh, but how did you get into Stormlight? Alright, so Stormlight was actually the last of the Sanderson books I read. Um, after that, I believe I read Elantris. And, well, around around Mistborn is when I was on the internet. I found out about the greater Cosmere as a whole. Which yeah. was very interesting to me. And I decided, well, since Stormlight is, you know, kind of about the culmination of a lot of this metaphysical stuff... I'll just sort of read the other books. So I read Elantris, probably, in my opinion, the weakest of his books that, well, I've read, well, of the Cosmere books. There, He's written some kids' books that are all right, but not the best. I, I do not disagree with you on this point. But yeah, Elantris, it's good. I, I loved it, but, you know, weakest of them. Warbreaker might actually be my favorite, which is something I, I think we've had a small argument about before, Vlad. Uh well no because uh, I de- Stormlight is definitely my favorite out of his stuff uh, uh but I can see Warbreaker be uh, being uh, something that uh, that someone might get into that doesn't bother me. All right well I'll... no knocking on anyone whose favorite is Elantris but thank God I didn't say Elantris was my favorite because I think that would have started another argument. I mean uh. We're nearly what half an hour in, and we ha- and we haven't had a major argument yet. You know, uh, we're either due or should be very proud of ourselves. I, I, I'm going for proud. You know, I, you know, I'm going for proud, Vlad. Positivity. That's that's where we want to be. This is something that we like. Yeah, I, I read Warbreaker, and that's when I finally bought a copy of The Way of Kings, which, God, this book I bought. I, I have it in front of me. I'm holding it in my hand. I bought it over 10 years ago, maybe, or maybe around 10 years ago. And it's one of my most worn, weathered books ever. Like, it's almost falling apart. Like, and that's sort of a testament to how much I read and reread it while waiting for uh, the second book to come out. Uh, you know what's, oh, what's uh, funny here? Uh, you have an actual physical copy of the book and so do i but it's basically just a wall decoration for me it's on my bookshelf as a reminder this is a thing that i read and loved but uh i 
exactly. But uh, I'm fully digital. I uh, I read all three books on my iPad, uh, and the other way that I consume it, uh, and actually for the audience, uh, uh, Anna is going to be reading the book physically and i am going to be doing the audiobook so uh in addition to our disparate viewpoints we're also going to be experiencing in uh we're also going to be experiencing the series in different ways i'm gonna be uh i'm gonna have kate redding and michael kramer's voice in my head as i go through this so of which uh, that... i've heard great things like you told me that it's a pretty good audiobook reading uh in my and this is this is completely subjective uh in my uh experience michael kramer and kate redding are flat out the best narrators in the game they do a fantastic job they bring these characters to life uh they're they're just really really good there it's it's a really really well done audiobook so the only the only real audiobook I've read, I've listened to since I've become an adult is the Warbreaker one. And then, you know, I'm just checking to see if it's the same, but the narrator for that is Alyssa Bres- Bresnahan. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Bresnahan, yeah. So I was thinking they might have been narrated by the same person, but. Uh, it, and not all of them are. Uh... Not all of them are read. Uh, not that. Not all of his books are read by the two of them, uh, but they do a lot of his work on the big series because I know that they were the narrators for the Wheel of Time, and I'm pretty sure that they were the narrators on uh, Mistborn. Uh, in fact, oh, uh, I looked it up just now. Uh, Michael Kramer was the narrator for Mistborn. Uh, that makes sense. I then I actually have heard his narration because I introduced my dad to the series actually, and he would just listen to it in the car like all the time when we were hanging out. That uh, audiobook. Yeah, uh, that that's Michael Kramer, like hands down one of the best audiobook narrators out there. Uh, that man does a fantastic job. Okay, so we've been talking for a while now, and we've mentioned the Cosmere a little bit. Uh, how about we sort of explain it to the audience? Uh, actually, there, there's something that uh, that uh, you met uh, you mentioned that I uh, I find really cool from like a writer standpoint. Uh, do you know the reason why the Cosmere came to be? Uh, I actually don't. Uh, I as much as I wish I did, I very not up to par on the behind the scenes details well this is actually a really cool thing and uh uh brandon sanderson uh wrote a ton of books before he ever got published he was uh, like like uh dragon lance i think is one of them i i i've heard about that stuff right i don't think he wrote dragon lance I don't. Uh, it has dragon in the name, and there are only oh, so yeah. many like yeah, yeah, suffixes. No. Yeah, uh, but basically, uh, for a long time, he just could not get published. Uh, he kept doing book after Sorry, book. Sorry, quick interruption. It's dragon steel, which, to be fair, is like three letters away from dragon lance. 
Uh, he, that is true, but Dragonlance is its own thing, and I was pretty sure that he was not that old. Yeah, All... and that's a and d setting, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, it's one of the really, really popular D&D settings. I, like, uh, I, like... I, I think I know why I said Dragonlance. Like, I literally looked to my left, and there's a Dragonlance book right there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like, uh, it's like the Icewind Dale trilogy, Dritch... Dritz or I cannot God. say I'm that. Sorry, do you want? Man. Do you want? Do you want to do a Dritz podcast? Because I I love that man. I, I love that funky little elf. <laughs> later, later. One th- we have to we have to like try and remain on one track at a time. Otherwise, we will never finish anything. Okay, uh, we'll, we'll save that for uh, Dritz on my parade. A Dritz to Erden podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Um. Oh, yeah, so uh, he basically, he wrote book after book after book, and he just couldn't get published. But uh, in doing that, he noticed that there were these patterns that he kept coming back to in his world building and his writing, and that when he noticed those common themes, they sort of coalesced in his mind into this thing that is the wider Cosmere. Uh, so there are the repeating things about intent being important to the magic systems, the number 16 being a re- uh, a repeated thing that keeps coming back again and again and again. And uh, there are these motifs and things that he just noticed himself doing because, you know, we're human beings, we're pattern, recogni- we're, we're pattern recognition systems. So he just sort of, because he had all that time, where he couldn't, he could not get published to save his life. He had that chance to see this thing in his work, and by the time he was getting published, he was able to sort of tie it all in together into this wider narrative. Uh, there's a reason why the character of the character who is Wit uh, appears in every book in the Cosmere in one do, shape or another. Do we want another. to say like his quote-unquote real name or do we want to save that? Let's let's save that because uh, let's do let's do wit when we get to wit. I, I think I think I'm speaking for most of our listenership if there is one that most of us want to do wit. I mean some of us want to be wit some of us want to do it. Some of us want both. Uh, it, 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 there's no kink shaming here. Yeah, no kink shaming. Yeah. Right. Maybe you want to be um, wit and do yourself. No. <laughs> be right, who, uh, follow so yeah, your uh, bliss. So so yeah, you know, there's the reoccurring character that goes throughout all of them. When I first found out about him, I just went, I, I literally went. Holy shit! And I, I grabbed up all of my books and I just skimmed through them, being like, "All right, where is he? Where is he? Where is he?" Like, find finding out about uh, finding out about that character is kind of what got me into the Cosmere as a whole. And like, while I haven't read a bunch of the background information, I know so much about the uh, well, I, background information outside of the universe, inside the universe, I know a lot. Like, all the different shards, adelosium. I'm definitely not pronouncing that right. And no, I will not be taking corrections. <laughs> it's uh, not a real person name, so I don't have to feel guilty. 
you preempted me. I will not be correcting your pronunciations. This is not the Pokemon podcast. I don't have to do that now. Speaking of, make sure to listen to Vlad on Pokemon uh, Primeval. Pokemon Primeval. Uh, well, well, Pokemon Primeval is season one. Right now, I am actively editing Apocalypse Now, uh, which is going to be season two. It's a post-apocalyptic setting where uh, everything has gone wrong, but we're trying to fix it. All right. Well, now that we've done plugs, we'll be signing off now. Wait, <laughs> fuck, no. We have early. we have not discussed any part of this book. <laughs> All right. So, um, as I was saying, I became a huge. I love wider expanded universe stuff. Yeah. So I I know almost all like. I can't name them, but I know the defining characteristics of most of the shards. I, uh... Odium, uh, yeah. Adelizium. God, that little bitch. Uh, uh cultivation. Cultivation. Uh, uh, it's just, it's a really, really interestingly constructed world. Yeah. Honestly, as much as I find Elantris to be, you know, the weakest book, I find their shards to be the most interesting they're, uh, I, bl- I believe they're, oh, God, uh, I'm going to pause so I can look this up for the listener. Hopefully it's zero time at all. Devotion and domination or devotion yeah. and dominion. Yeah. Like, very much like the shards on Mistborn. They're two opposing concepts, but they're like, they're apparently just the, apparently they're just the golden couple of the shards where it's like, they still managed to make it work. Don't it's doesn't one of them of die? What? Doesn't one of them die in Elantris? Or oh, are they? Uh, no, they're not. Bo- both of them. Both of them were absolutely murdered by Odium. Oh yeah, that's what it is. I knew that they were. I knew that they were dead. Oh, uh, by the way, uh, spoilers. Uh, the, I'm. We're gonna try not to spoil the main book, but I think at this point we've failed to not spoil the wider Cosmere. Yeah, gods die here. Kind of a lot. I, I, I have some theories on the... Well, I have some theories on the Shattered Shards and how those might go on, but we'll save that for later, question mark? Uh, well, L- long story short, I think that the Shattering is something that's only temporary and they can and will be brought back somehow. Interesting. Uh, we're going to have to come back to that when we do our metaphysics of the Cosmere episode. Oh, that, that sounds like a good post, uh, post like book one, uh, chat. We'll, we'll, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. Actually, that may be better for after book three, because we learn a lot more, uh, after book three in, about shattered shards and what happens to them. Uh, then it's that that is true but that's like five years away from us that is also very true all right uh so yes uh my personal experience with the cosmere was that i know a lot of small details uh i've read a lot of background information and some short stories uh vlad uh how extensive is your cosmere knowledge i have read a lot i've read a lot of the short stories like uh i don't know if you've read the one with the uh telepathic birds uh there's the oh, one the, is that the one with like turns out they're like aliens who don't want to infringe on the culture 
something like that maybe uh I, it's, it's been a it's while it's been a while and neither uh, of us are perfect i i think the only ones that i haven't read are the complete of uh, the dragon steel books and the the white sands books which i think are the uh, uh the oh. gra- the graphic novels yeah. uh, which uh, he uh got uh I have those graphic novels. The story behind them is it's not as interesting as, you know, any of the Wheel of Time stuff you mentioned or the pre-publishing stuff. But in the interview in the back of those graphic novels, he mentions, yeah, like White Sands is one of those books that, you know, Brand Sanderson's been wanting to, you know, get back into and maybe like polish it up to become uh, publishable. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it it's a graphic novel it got it, yeah it, yeah no he, he well he mentions that as he was writing it he realized wait a second this this isn't really he realized that the story he was telling wasn't really made for the written word like basically he came to this realization oh this is why it wasn't published like in addition to some other like bad things about his writing that he's like fixed since he first started writing it but it realized that White Sands works much better in a visual medium. And God, is that true? The art in those books are great. I mean, there are some things that really, really are made in the art. That is, uh, if, if, and if you write something that works best that way, it's really hard to go another way with it. Like, the last time I think that it was done well was maybe um, uh, Roger Stern's... Uh, uh, up, up and away. The uh, the Superman book that he wrote in the nineties. Oh, is that the one with like uh, it was like Miracle Monday or something? Like Superman was so awesome, he created a holiday. I don't think so. Uh, this is uh, this is nineties, way more grounded Superman. So uh, the uh, it, this it's been literally 20 years since i read this thing so i am not confident in saying anything about it other than the fact that it was written by roger stern uh i'm looking it up right now and up up and away is such a gosh darn common title it's very hard to find out what it is actually but i'll believe you that it's very good because i for some reason trust you uh i mean Oh no! It's the death, uh, the death and life of Superman. He wrote the novel uh, uh, of the uh, uh, of the death and return of Superman. Oh, all right. That S- sorry, listeners, for taking you on that wild roller coaster of emotions. No, there is a there is a Superman book called Up, Up and Away. It's just not the one that I was thinking of. Uh, but uh, Roger Stern wrote the. Uh, novelization of the death and return of Superman, and I that, I remember that being very very good. Even if even though it wasn't a visual medium, he did a good job of uh, sort of selling the epicness and the tragedy and pain of it. Uh, and uh, f- for readers who are not for listeners who are not currently inhabiting my home and looking over my shoulder. Uh, just so that you are aware of my uh, my relationship to Superman, uh, there is a uh, 
Superman tattoo on my forearm. Uh, it is the shield, and it was the first one that I got where I could not hide it by uh, with a t-shirt. So uh, I have some feelings about the Man of Steel. I see you are also a man of culture. Uh, indeed, indeed. Uh, but uh, this is not a Superman podcast. No. Uh, we'll save that for up, up, and away, our Superman podcast. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we... Uh, we were talking. Uh, we were talking about the uh, the Cosmere. Uh, yes, you mentioned that you'd read most of the stories except for White Sands and Dragonsteel. Yeah, I mean, I, I got the uh, the Arcanum Unbounded series just because I wanted to like, keep diving in. I, 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 when I get into something, I want to know absolutely everything about it. And the world of Stormlight was just so like really cool and complex and had so much to it i just wanted like more so i uh, i went into the other series the uh, the uh, uh the short stories the little explanatory things especially w- uh, when they like go into my favorite characters like there is a short story that is about lift and lift is just oh. awesome <laughs> god i i can't wait until we can talk about that short story like uh, I, I will like, say this. Uh, 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 huh? I will say this. Uh, if someday I am so fortunate as to have uh, a daughter, I want her to be like Lyft. <laughs> For a second, I thought you were going to say I'm going to name her Lyft. And I was like, oh, no, no, don't do that. She will be bullied so hard. Uh, no, no, no. I've come up with a completely different, horrible way uh, to torture my children with their names. Uh I have uh, decided, by the way, I am not a married man. I don't even have a girlfriend right now. So this is completely pie in the sky. Uh, I have decided that uh, I want all my children to have uh, the names. Uh, I am Vlad, as in Vlad the Impaler. So uh, I have the come great up. noble hero of Wallachia. Of course. Uh, so therefore, uh, I have come up with the names to give to my children. Vlad, as in the Impaler, William, as in the Conqueror, Ivan and Alexander, as in the Terribles, Elizabeth, eh, eh, and Catherine, as in also the Greats. Uh, well, uh, actually, scratch that. One Ivan the Terrible, one Alexander the Great, and two great, uh, two Greats. Now, uh, depending the Great, of course. What's that? Pompey the Great. Yeah, but I just don't like Pompey that uh, much. It, it just well, the... I mean, apparently you don't like your kids much. Oh, I like the I like the oldest one enough to get uh, to give them my name. I like my name, and the <laughs> next one in line will be will be William or Wilhelmina the Conqueror. <laughs> Those are normal names. Ivan, Ivana, Alexander, Alexandria. Those are names. I, I just... I'm just naming my children after my Jitu and Siti, but you do you. Uh, uh, of course. Uh, grandparents. That's Lebanese or Arabic, I guess, for grandparents. I mean, that is most likely what's going to happen because, you know, uh, I am not currently capable of reproduction by myself. I'm working on it. It's a personal moral failing, but I'm trying. Uh, uh, but 
under the current system that I'm going to have to uh, partake in, there will be another human being involved. So, I'm sure they're going to want to have input. Alright. Alright, enough about our theoretical future offspring, as much as I want to continue this conversation. Yes. Uh, so, that is our knowledge on the Cosmere, our introduction to Brandon Sanderson as a whole, as well as our feelings on Superman, children names, and, like... I don't know what else we got in there, but I'm going to hopefully leave it in. Uh, there is actually something that uh, I think we need to put in here, uh, which is where the title of this uh, episode zero comes from. False gods. Uh, we're, we're fans. We love this stuff. We are absolutely not experts. So uh, if anyone well, out there... We, we are the two blind men contemplating beauty. Exactly. Uh, however... Uh, send us your comments, send us your corrections, we're listening. Because we're fans, not experts. We are not presenting ourselves as false gods of this universe. I'm not even sure Brandon Sanderson can you know, completely say that he is the god of this universe. Because literature takes a life of, uh, of its own once it gets out of the author's hands. You know, the author is dead. So just yeah, putting that Brandon out... Sanderson. Yes, Sanderson has to stay alive. Just like, please, for a while. No, right. actually, he needs, at, he needs at least another two decades to get through some of the rest of this series. Yeah, which, uh, funnily enough, uh, is a pretty good segue into part three of uh, this podcast, where we actually discuss the book. Amazingly. Will this will this part have more or less uh, distractions? Probably more, but let's hope for less. And now let's play that music that I will hopefully put in to segue. No, that's Super Mario. You, you, you do know that because you did that, now I can't put in segue music. I have to keep that in. Why? No! You oh wait no you can't as your attorney I can tell you that you can't that is copyrighted music that is Super Mario. You think you sang that well enough to get copyright stricken? Yes. <laughs> All right. Honestly, Vlad, think I am gonna cut that out so I can put in like actual segue music because I actually want you know something I good. I put it in. back talking about the prelude to the stormlight archive yes to uh what is a really the prologues in fantasy series are interesting uh and i mentioned that i started with um the wheel of time and the wheel of uh, times you, you've uh you I remember you told me to skip the prologue in the first book because it wouldn't make sense until, like, the fifth. It w probably, like, the eighth or something. God, I give that series too much credit. No, it. here's the thing. That prologue is a really, really interesting short story. But it makes very little sense until 
you have way more context. I actually enjoy going after having read the series. I love going back to that prologue and seeing just where the seeds are laid for so much of what happens later. But at the same time, uh, if you're just coming into it cold, it's a really weird place to start, man. Uh, just start with chapter one. Start with the farm boy on the road with the horse and take it from there. But uh, you know that meme where it's like the lady going like, Rihanna? Rihanna? I, I just had that exact moment, but I just went, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Uh, I mean, there's there's that definitely a little bit of Luke's... Like, no new stories ever told. Like, it's how you tell them. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there is a lot of the Campbellian myth in the character of Randall Thor. That's just the way it is. But, well, what I was saying, that the way that prologues can work to get you into a series and how they function is a really interesting topic. Like the wheel of time, it's setting up a massive, massive, uh, seed for what the conflicts are. The problem there is that by the time that you realize that it was setting up those seeds, you're so far into the book series that uh, it might as well not exist. Uh, the kind of conflicts that they're setting up in that prologue don't pay off until maybe book 10, 13, where they start uh, like really exploring the nature of the Dark One and humanity and his prison. So what is man but a miserable pile of secrets? I'm sorry, that was instinctual. No, that is correct. <laughs> that is that is very much a thing that is explored in these books. Uh, but it, that that is a completely different book series. But what's interesting about uh, the prelude to the Stormlar archive is that you come into it, Knowing that the gods are a lie, that they were human, that they were flawed, that they betrayed someone, that there is something wrong here that is uh, exists on a fundamental structural level. Yeah, like K Kalak, like he has immense PTSD, like. The person that the, like, Alethi are worshipping, he spends the entire chapter just horrified and like, God, I hate this, I hate everything, I'm so scared. And he's, he's broken, he's in pain. Uh, and uh, Kalik, he's not just like, oh, you know, oh, that's Kalik, he's one of the, he's just in the Pantheon. No, he is the guy that, Kaladin is supposed to model himself after. He is their god of truth and honor. That's, and this is the guy that we first meet. We're in his head, and he is in pain. He is broken. Oh god, I, so, you know, going a little bit ahead to Kaladin, I hadn't realized, like, you know, I, I didn't really pay much attention to the gods until around book two-ish, but Kaladin, you know, supposed to be modeled after uh, Kalak, 
the guy who appears to all to be, you know, the paragon of truth and honesty is actually a sad person plagued with doubts, flip-flopping on what he should do. <laughs> I mean, imagine that. Huh, I wonder if in the future of this book series we'll see something like that. But also, I want to bring up, you know, just a little bit ahead to the prologue of book one, because, you know, Kalak is the prelude to the entire book, the entire novel, but, you know, it's broken up into parts. Uh, you know, during Suzeth's uh, introduction, you know, they're talking about... Um, he mentions, he makes some notes about the uh, Voran theology, and he mentions Kelek. K-E-L-E-K, instead of Kalak, K-A-L-A-K. Like, something I hadn't noticed before until, like, actually earlier today when I was rereading these things for this podcast, but they got the names of their own gods wrong, which I think says a lot about what sort of about the theology of, you know, the Alethi in particular, and probably the entirety of the uh, world, that it's I, I all... W- it's, the, oh. it's the whole world. It's the whole yeah. world. That it's been 4,500 years. There's been monumental drifts in in language, in culture, in ideation. It's not... The, the landscape even has changed a lot. If I... You know, far, far ahead. I think we see a, a map of old uh, of the of the world before the forty five hundred year time skip, and I think there are just lots of different things. Like it's like and and right up front, like they show you, hey, no, you know, they got a lot of things wrong. They even got the name of their god wrong, which is just to me sets up a lot of the major themes. Uh. What's interesting about that is that I think that they both got it wrong in the sense that this was a person with a specific name and a specific spelling of it, and they did not reflect that accurately, but also they could not have gotten it correct just because of the forces of language drift, of uh, just things change. It's entirely possible that the language has drifted to the point where the phonemes to pronounce that the way that it was originally intended to be pronounced just don't exist. It's not, it could be that it's not like, oh, someone made a copy error down the point. No, the language changed and the way that it was being pronounced is was no longer reflective of the language, so it changed. And uh, I think that there is a worthwhile discussion to be had there between the fact that uh, Kalik the person, uh, he has a name. Uh, Kalik the god is a completely different thing, and people can call it what they want. So they're both right and wrong. Yeah, they, they've essentially created a different person. Exactly. Like, they, like, based... They took this theoretically real person and were like, "Well, we don't nest. We're gonna, we're gonna mold you to suit our needs, whether it's the needs of morale of what we want our morality to be or the needs of what our language is." Oh God! So also, much of that I'm, happens in this book. Also, I'm gonna bring up another name. The per- um, Kalik, you know, goes to the Circle of Swords, and and sees Jezrian. Uh, God, I, 
these aren't real these aren't real people's names so i don't have to feel guilty about mispronouncing them but i don't know so yeah we meet jezrian Th that's spelling j-e-z-r-i-e-n then in Voren theology jezereze a j-e-z-e-r-e-z-e-h and it, I'm gonna put this in our back pocket um, for when we get to that for when we get to that part. But symmetry is something that is very important to the uh, Alethi culture. Yes, uh, and in fact, they specifically make names less symmetrical when they want to make the point that they are not trying for hubris in their naming structure. Look, I'm not saying that my kid is a god or as onto a god just because I named him Bob. God, Bob is... In a lefty culture, Bob is the most perfect name. <laughs> I mean, it's... It, it, is, it is both symmetrical and if you cut it in half vertically, it's equal. Yes. It's the, it's the, perfect, it's the perfect name. Yeah, the, I thought about this. My <laughs> my surge binder OC's name is Bob. He's the reincarnation of uh, of cultivation. <laughs> oh man! Oh um, but I actually uh, I have it in front of me, so I actually wanted to like read out like the first paragraph from this book because I think it sets up so much of what everything else is in here. Calic rounded a rocky. Calic rounded a rocky stone ridge and stumbled to a stop before the body of a dying thunderclast. The enormous stone beast lay on its side, rib-like protrusions from its chest broken and cracked. The monstrosity was vaguely skeletal in shape, with unnaturally long limbs that sprouted from granite shoulders. The eyes were deep red spots in the arrowhead face, as if it, as if created by a fire burning deep within the stone they faded i mean like what he is setting up with that first paragraph is that this is a big crazy world and it is populated by these entities these creatures and at the very last line they faded he's letting you know yeah some things are not going to turn out well some things are going to die. This is a world with death. And just from a, a writing perspective, fuck. I, I think that's also sort of a metaphor for the time period that Kalak finds himself in. Because this, the Thunderclast, this is probably the last Thunder... Like, this thing, you know, it's an enemy. Like, he mentions later that they horrify him. Like, he's been killed by Thunderclast before. Like this, I think this is also symbolic of the age of the Thunderclass, the age of the Radiance dying. You know, well, not like, quite because you know, this isn't the the end of the age of Radiance. This is the end of the age of Gods. Right. I, oh, uh, uh, I am not good with vocabulary. Sometimes I mix those two up. No, I know. Uh, it, but yeah, this is the end of the Oath Pack, and at this point. Uh, where we are as far as the reading goes, 
we don't fully know what that is. We know sort of vaguely what the Oath Pack is intended to do. But we don't know who set it up. We know who was supposed to keep it. We know what was it was supposed to happen. But who did this? How does this bind Odium? Uh, we don't have those answers yet. I, I don't think we even know Odium. Like, sorry, I'm just rereading. Like, obviously, not we here. both no. read this. Th things, things, things will slip out. No, no, like, between us. No, I, I mean, I don't mean just like here in this chapter. I mean in the wider book series. We know Odium's name. We don't know what we know. Uh, by the time we get to the end of book three, we know what the Oath Pact was intended to do, but we don't know who set it up. Actually. So there are still mysteries that are still being paid off from this one uh, quick chapter, but the uh, the the takeaways that I got from this one thing were that just how huge this world is. There is so much that is brought in here that is like little tidbits leading you uh, to wonder well what does how does that work like uh there's one line that says blood mixed red orange violet who has orange blood who has violet blood i and I, we is that a motherfucking homestuck reference sorry like what okay some real quick cosmology in homestuck the trolls each have different colored bloods uh you know roy uh roy g biv i think um and depending on what color your blood is you're basically a different tier in the hierarchy and red blood is kind of doesn't exist except for in one person it's very rare and like basically the people with the red blood were hunted down violet blood is like the most royal of royals sorry quick homes i i am homestuck trash to those listeners who know what that is uh i don't know what that is but okay uh but what what i mean with that is uh we know who the red blood comes from that's the human blood we know who the orange blood comes from we still haven't met the ones with the violet blood huh so i i haven't really compared the prologue to the later books like right is it the uh posh that have the orange blood i don't think so Sorry, I'm just trying to remember I, who has I, the orange blood. I because th uh, I think uh, they're blue. I uh, the orange blood. Oh no, uh, yeah, that's the Pash. Or uh, the uh, that that's the the orange is the Pash. Violet is who we haven't met yet. So there are like, still there are things that here three books in we're still are still mysteries to us from this first uh, opening uh, prologue. That is how yeah, big right. this world is. And that's just like, that is awesome to me. All right. So we've talked about how we've talked about our feelings on the prologue as a sort of wider narrative work that, you know, we're still answering questions. Um, I think, you know, that it's sort of sprinkling in answers every so often. And like, even right after it in the, in the, uh, in the next chapter with Sezeth, we, we get, you know, more information on the humans, uh, messing up the names which has so much more uh which at which you know adds a lot of context to the society now let's talk about the action specifically in the prologue yeah so 
currently the uh the members of the oath pack you know right now we right now we just have Kalak and uh Jezamine the brave god uh, Jezrian and their conversation about abandoning Taln to so let's just base this all on context we have here let's I know it's you know impossible but let's sort of think about it yeah we only get four names of them uh uh Kalak no uh Kat Ka- Kalak Jezrian Talanel and Ishar those those are the four we know as of as of this and, and just so I don't like spell it out like again like as in literally spell it out um tall uh, and uh ah god the other name the other two also and Ishar also have their names like improperly like transcribed in the next chapter we we saw that we see Kalak and Jezrian chatting about hey we decided to leave Talon to his fate what do you what do you think of their decision so like (sighs) ignoring as much as we can like do do you think let's first ask do you think they made the right decision because there are some questions not exactly about the right decision but if you think they should have well that actually begs the question because you might actually be asking two separate questions did they make the correct decision and did they make the right decision because yeah thank you that's that's sort of what i was trying to get at but apparently a lawyer is better at words than an engineer i mean i should i should hope so i paid a lot of money to get good at it and people pay me money now to be good at it it's tough to say that it's the correct decision without context uh, from um, later down the line and in fact we may not have the context to say that it is the correct decision later down the line as of right now so we kind of have to put that question aside yeah i, I mean I, I have i have some thoughts on just some stuff stated here but i believe they mention uh er- earlier they mentioned that it's just been months since the last desolation you know uh, uh i don't think they mentioned that it's been months uh hold up uh they mentioned that it's that this was one of the worst that the uh enemy is getting more tenacious more brutal but they don't mention a time scale and i could i could have sworn they mentioned a cycle of desolations darn i i really could have sworn they mentioned that it only been months you know what uh this is the benefit of having the uh, the digital copy. I'm actually going to search for the word months. Okay, they do not mention the word months in the entire pre- uh, prologue, prelude. All right, damn. So, I guess I guess that was my own uh, thoughts. Getting back to it. Yeah, I think that might have been just like context from later books, but I, I don't think that it was ever like a, a time scale of months in between desolations. Um, but uh, getting back to the uh, point, like. It's really tough to say whether the decision was right or not, whether it was morally justifiable, because it kind of depends on your view of morality and what system you're uh, looking at. I mean, a an absolutist uh, you, uh, morality system would say, no, absolutely not. This is completely unjustifiable. You are leaving one person to suffer, so that you can get away 
a utilitarian model which seeks to maximize or rather to minimize suffering across everyone would say it is better for one person to suffer rather than nine or rather one person than ten but yeah yeah, jezrean uh himself says better that one man suffer than ten which i think which i think gets into the heart of why they made this decision this is not a decision that is born out of moral conviction this is a decision born out of pain like real deep down pain and Kalik goes out of his way to say that Jezrian is the the eternal king the one who always knows the one who's got that line and if you think about and i'm trying not to bring in context from later books but the way that these characters are perceived by their people is that they always have this focus on doing the right thing and the way that even the power structure in this world is defined by doing the right thing and having the right intention that these guys who are the supposed to be the paragon of this have gotten to the point where they are broken they're in horrible pain and they spell it out for you what's going to happen if they if they don't stay they are going to go back to a place of fire and hooks and burn do, do you mind if i do a direct quote because i think the way it's described is honestly pretty please yeah how long had it been centuries perhaps millennia of torture it was so hard to keep track those fires those hooks digging into his flesh and you each day searing the skin off his arm then burning the fat then driving to the bone he could smell it almighty he could smell it yeah and that, that's the thing and i want to call out this point specifically for brandon sanderson's writing that he is playing with all five of your senses when he uh, when he does this uh, prologue he's giving you the visuals of this landscape he is giving you the smell of like the the smell of your own burning flesh while you're here and it is you feel for this guy it, it's it's this is uh, not a decision that is made based on doing what is moral this is a decision that is based on i don't want to go back they're they're literally and let's be clear no no it's not just terrifying let's be clear about what we the world the uh, the the universe is demanding of them we're not just talking about go back kill yourself and go back you you that's how they get there they would have to commit suicide in order to go back to this place of pain and stay there like let's just call it hell because it basically is it's like hey go, go to hell until like the next desolation like we know the mechanics of it, but so far, you know, we we have not yeah. had that revealed to us as of this. We just it's like when we do, like holy shit, Brandon Sanderson, who hurt you as a child? Uh, it, uh we don't know, but oof. I mean, talk about turning your pain in, uh, pain into art. But this is 
you you kind of have to take it from two different standpoints. The standpoint of them who are making this decision, and let's say you or I, who let's say that you or I are just a person in this world who uh, is just you know a person, not a radiant, not anything. Yeah, just like a regular like a lefty citizen. Exactly. You would be asking them to kill themselves, go to hell, and burn for however long it takes to get to the next desolation when they have to come back and fight it all over again and probably get killed before they have to go back. And if they don't get killed, they have to kill themselves. This, This is a cycle. Yeah. Whether or not I agree with the choice, whether or not, like, I I refuse to judge them, like, as an outside observer. Like, of course, I can't put myself in the shoes of, you know, an Alethi citizen because, you know, I have too much context for it. But I absolutely refuse to judge the Heralds because how can anyone after the pain they've been in? And it's not, like, for a while. And it... Here's what I mean when I say that it's a cycle. They they don't know how long they've been doing this. They have lost that reference of time. And the only thing that they can look forward to is more of this. They, If they don't break the Oath Pact, if they don't do this for the foreseeable ever this is their life go to he- go to hell suffer come back fight die or kill yourself and go back repeat 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 that is their I, life i'm gonna i'm gonna bring up this description of jezrian because you know as we're talking i'm also you know looking through it seeing you know points you're bringing up points i'm bringing up jezrian looked young like a man barely into his 13th uh into his 30th year like i don't know exactly like how you know their immortality shit works but presumably like when they started like when it started these were just people that ended up in this cycle like these i i feel like just i get the feeling that these were people who were chosen rather than you know yeah angels or gods created no absolutely i think these were people these were regular ass human beings who got powers or who were you know you i choose you jezrian i i think probably for like i'm like the first five or six uh desolations like they probably like you know it hurt like hell but they probably didn't mind because they're like oh yeah you know we're doing this for honor and justice like this is what we maybe signed up for i am i am the i have the shield of humanity or i am the shield of life yeah, after the tenth, like I don't know, century of having the fat of your arm burned off with a flaming hook, I think you start thinking, "Why the fuck did I agree to this?" Exactly, and the and, and uh, we don't know what the selection process is, but let and I, I'm at the moment I'm kind of presuming that they were selected by honor. Uh, we don't know that. That's my speculation, but. The Shard of Honor chose these 10 people. Honor chooses honorable people. These were the... I'm thinking that these were the 10 most 
honorable people that honor the sh- honor the shard honor with a capital H could find and said you this is what needs to be done to protect the world I, I can't help but bring sort of a King Arthur Knights of the Round parallel because I oh I it's totally there oh it's there yeah, but I mean like think about it like these were the round table like these were the most true the most just like absolutely these were galahad and uh god galahad gawain lancelot arthur and but then years and years like what happened to camelot happened to these guys like i'm sure if we read a book where it was like oh yeah the book of the ten radiants standing up and saving the world like they would all be like the perfect heroes and all that but then 10 millennia like let's say 10 millennia later because i like the sound of that they're now this yeah because that's what happens when you put human beings through this cycle and it, it it's different for them to go through it as individuals who remember this I don't know if rebirth applies in this world. I don't know if that's part of the cosmology, but that's not how they work. They remember all of it. They don't get to forget and just sort of go along. The world does. The world gets to go forward and forget and, uh, you know, move on. They don't. They are stuck with it forever what's also both interesting and horrible is that they don't get like imagine you know you're in a situation where you have like i don't know like you broke your arm and now it's in a cast and like itches a lot and it hurts like eventually you get used to that you know you've broken a limb or a bone right uh yeah sort of i i kind of broke an ankle no not never like a real bone yeah like, after a while, like, the ache of that, you know, bone that broke, like, it's sort of, like, you get used to it, like, you know, after the initial screaming of breaking it at first. But once it's in the cast, you get used to it. But, like, the, these guys, like, they could, they did not, they could not get used to it. This is, like, that sort of implies that it keeps on getting worse the more it goes on, because they never be able to get used to it. it yeah. And... This is one of those times where it would kind of be sort of beneficial uh, for you to have read uh, A Wheel of Time because it also works on a cyclical cycle uh, because that's how cycles work. That's a particular Wheel of Time? Uh, Yes, in fact. But uh, the central conflict of the universe is the Dark One trying to escape and humanity beating it back. But it's a thing that happens again and again and again because the enemy is eternal. The people fighting it are mortal. And they and it's a thing that the conflict keeps coming back. They never get to escape it. But here you have quote-unquote mortal people who suffer, who bleed who die and they are there again and again and again in front of all of it they are on the front lines i like 
Tel- uh, Telenel, he is known for going to the place where the fighting is the hottest and standing his ground. That is who he is. That is who these guys are. And they... Yeah, he had a bad tendency to choose hopeless fights and win them. He also had a tendency to die in the process. Yeah. That's who these guys are. And after a millennia, 10 millennia, who knows how long it's been of doing this. You can't fault them for eventually being like, enough. I give up. Like, I like I know that I would give up, like, after, probably at the zero of the time. I'd be like, oh, no, I'm out. Just like, destroy everything. Like, I'd, I'd, I'd rather just be killed now than suffer later. Just, just take me now. <laughs> like the desolations would happen every minute if i if i if i was a member of the oath pact uh yeah you you basically get uh, get down there and you're uh, and uh like, the I, torture I, I, the I, I torturer they, shows they, you the knife yeah yeah no they sh- it's like all right here's the hook i give up i give up desolation part two bitches <laughs> um yeah my uh my uh my uh, Night Radiant OC Bob is also a giant coward <laughs> and a member of the Oath Pact. <laughs> uh, uh, which uh, which one of the ra- uh, which one of the uh, 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 which school of Radiant is he? Is he a uh, 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 damn it uh, an, a- an Ashbringer, Dustbringer? Oh, Dustbringer. Nah, he- God. If I was actually making an OC, like either. Probably, probably a light spinner because that's just illusions are cool as fuck. You mean light weaver? Light weaver. Listen, Vlad. Yeah. Vladimir. Vladskin. Words are hard. This I know. Uh, uh, would you take it if you knew for a fact that the um thing that we are not talking about yet because we have not reached it uh thing that happens with Shalon is not a thing that is specific to her but is a thing that happens to all of them eh i mean i already have depression how much worse could it go uh your depression starts talking to you and starts taking over your body all right fair enough fair enough i see <laughs> uh but uh, but uh, sort of back to the point these guys you can say that their decision was not a moral decision and honestly you kind of have to say you have to admit that they are yeah, well, will, they're, they, they're, they, they they're willingly to themselves they admit it to themselves Calic uh, uh, admits it he knows that he's broken it's the thing that scares him the most when he sees that Jezrian this guy who he thought like Jezrian, you know, the most noble of us all, and then he sees that he's broken too, and he realizes that, and it's just pain and suffering, and he and he can't make himself do it. He just can't. Like uh, imagine you're Lancelot and you show up and King Arthur, like you see King Arthur and he just is crying and is like it's done, it's over. Like that would break anyone, you know? Yeah. What I was saying is that Whatever they may say, whatever justifications or excuses they may give, even Kalak looking at Jezrian knows that Jezrian is full of shit in this moment. That 
maybe there is some truth to what Jezreen is saying about this interrupting the cycle of desolations. But that's not why he's doing it. They realize that they're not doing this out of a sense of this is right. They're doing this out of a sense of this is all that I can give. I can't give any more. And it's not a right or moral decision. And I don't think that they're honestly making the case that it is. And yeah, like you don't, you don't ask for forgiveness if you think you're making the right choice. No, no. And that is how the, that's how the prelude ends. Uh, uh, Yeah. I am sorry. Forgive us. I, I, I have like half of this thing highlighted. Uh, because there were just so many like lines that stuck out to me. All right. Um, t- towards the end, you know, before Kalak uh, asked for forgiveness, when they walk away, Jezreel and Kalak go in different directions, which I think means a lot. Because Ka- Kalak, most of his description of Jezreel, when he's not talking about, oh, he's broken like me, is saying this is my king, like, even if he doesn't wear a crown, he's still the king. And, like, at this point, I think he's disappointed in both Jezreel and himself. Oh, these people the cannot where, face each other. Not ever. Yeah, they're like, like, how could you? Yeah, like, yeah, like I, th- I think basically to them, they're like, well, I'm forced to, I'm forced to keep interacting with myself, but I don't want any more of this. Uh, and if you'll recall the thing that happens later down the line uh even just interacting with yourself can be uh a pain all of its own oh yes poor poor literally everyone uh well i was talking about one person in particular oh i i know who you're talking about but oh but yeah yeah uh but yeah no these people they can't be around each other they can't face each other like the, having that constant reminder of this thing that you did? No, no, you, that that would be horrible to have to deal with. They, they, they basically say, I'm gone and uh, don't look for me. Which is interesting because presumably they're still immortal and it's a small world. You're going to run into each other eventually. So... This is the fan fiction writer and reader in my mind, but now I'm imagining just a series of small vignettes where just like they run into each other and like they either like see each other, just book it in the other direction, or they just start brawling in the middle of the streets. Uh, I, I think occasionally every once in a while they run into each other in like a busy city street, face off, and go, coffee, coffee. They go. They sit at a little shop, they drink, they don't talk, they walk away. It's very French. Yeah, it, it's in uh, it's in Fantasy France, which which is actually called Fantasy France. It's the one neutral zone in all of this world. <laughs> uh, I thought that was where Zathas is from. Zathas. Zazed. Fuck. No, that is a completely different character. Zaz the assassin from Batman? No, uh, uh Zaz is the uh, he he's the one hey, he's the one from Mistborn. I, I know I was making a joke. Oh, also, 
he would fit in perfectly in this world because his name is perfectly symmetrical. God, if he showed up, like, spoilers, like, this is, like, the massive culmination of the Cosmere, so a lot of characters show up, like, either in disguise or just as themselves yeah. from the other books. Yeah. Uh, y- you've read that short story where, uh, where uh, Ed cut this out of the podcast. Uh, and in fact, the two characters who he confronts are in this book. They're at the party. Uh, really? Yeah. Oh, actually, no, I, I, I was doing some reading. I think that, uh, are these the two people based on the uh, admins for the 17th Shard Wiki? Yes. Yeah, now now it's all coming back to me. Yeah, yeah. They yeah, so this series is like a culmination of so much stuff that people just keep coming back. And like uh the guy who teaches uh who teaches Kaladin how to use a sword. Oh god, I Oh god, I know. Okay. Alright. This is all not going in the podcast, none, but none, but at all... the end of at at the end of the second book, when Nightblood showed up, yeah, like, you want to kill? I I literally dropped the book. Went, oh my god! Yes, like, that was literally me. All right, ho- ho- we should get back to the podcast now, uh, and let's sort of wrap it up a bit. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we just went on a ten-minute spoiler ranted discussion that's going to be cut out of the podcast. Sorry about that, everyone. Mm, we're sorry, but this is a thing that happens to us kind of a lot. Yeah. At least you still have the Superman uh, uh, detraction to, you know, keep you company. However, well, I think that'll be pretty much it for the first episode of Wit and Bridge Girl. I have been your wit. I have been your bridge girl, holding up this podcast with my own two hands. And I have been sitting atop it, doing basically nothing. Maybe drinking, maybe eating some grapes. you really are wit. So if you want to reach us... Uh, not entirely sure if it will be up by the time this episode is posted, but I will be creating a Twitter. That will be in the description to this video if it exists. An email will be set up, witandbridgegirl at gmail.com, all one word. And hopefully next time we'll get into the first few chapters of The Way of Kings, as Zeth wears white to an assassination. I mean, it sounds like a hell of a party.